Welcome back to another edition of Elevate Your Grind, brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I am your host, Todd Rosales, folks. Of course, I want to apologize for not being live for you yesterday. Some things get up. Life is in the way. We might be a day late, but we are certainly not a dollar short here, folks. I've got a great guest for you today. I hope you enjoyed Tuesday's episode with Krishnan of GPEN. It's always great to check in with some of those companies that have been around the cannabis industry forever. I mean, for those of you that are cannabis consumers, I'm sure you're well aware of GPEN before we even had any legalization in any state. I know I was. It was probably one of the first 510 batteries I bought, one of the first vaporizers I bought. So really happy to have them on the show and just see what those guys are up to. Um, speaking of which, we talk about brands and we talk about the relationship that we have with brands. That is a perfect transition into my guest today. So the cool thing about doing this show is I get to build a network of people that I end up trusting and they become kind of like an advisor to me in this industry. One of those people that I got to meet along my journey is Cynthia. I'm going to butcher your last name like I always do, but Cynthia Salarzeda, right? She has been an absolute gem. She's a rock star in the industry. So when Cynthia reaches out to me and says that she has a guest to be on the show, I don't even look them up. I just say yes. This is one of those cases. So if she's not that good, we'll blame Cynthia. Obviously, I'm kidding. But please welcome my guest today, the founder and CEO of the Bukai Agency, Betty Tran. Betty, thank you for joining me. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm glad that we're getting to do this. Thank you for having me. And thank you for being so flexible on my schedule. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, I took the bullet for you in that intro. You didn't have to tell everybody it was your fault. You did. I was like, I like to take uh, responsibility. So I All appreciate right. it. So Betty, you have a deep, deep background in marketing and you're now taking your talents into the cannabis industry. I actually think that you're working with Cynthia, but just right off the bat, and I've asked this question of a hundred people in marketing, but I imagine it was a nice rude awakening for you when you first got into cannabis and you were probably like, all right, here's my playbook. We're going to do X and Y and Z. We're going to do Google ads and we're going to do, you know, we're going to geo map this and everything. And then someone's probably like, you can't do that in this industry. What was your first impression like when you started working in the cannabis space? You know, it's so interesting. So my background is predominantly um, digital special events, live events, music festivals, video games. And, you know, I was brought on by a music festival company that specialized in cannabis and they were like, so okay. essentially you were circling cannabis in that nature between yeah. music festivals and video games and everything else. You just didn't have the final product. Then. I just didn't have the final product. And I always tell people there's such a high cross duplication amongst those audiences, right? Like how do you capitalize on it? So, you know, starting early in my career, it was, I started my career before Facebook, all YouTube, any of that stuff had been around. And so it's funny, I worked at a really creative agency called ADD Marketing, and it was we were doing PR stunts. Like, for example, there was a movie called Blades of Glory, um, and it was about two ice skaters, and we basically did a campaign where we took guys in costume wearing the Blades of Glory, you want to call them unitards, and go into bars and have scorecards. So that they would do shots with people. And they would go eight, nine, and you do a Jaeger bomb. It was like, yeah, sake bombs or whatever you would do. And they would have like Blades of Glory, um, you know, scorecards. And that was the marketing we did back then. Like that, you know, you bought some outdoor, but you had to get really clever outdoors. And then fast forward, digital obviously became a thing and you're leveraging influencers. And, you know, that, that was like, again, your checkbox marketing. You're like, okay, I'm going to crop, you know, I'm going to do this type of marketing. 
then everyone's like, oh, you're in all these categories. I think you'd be great for a cannabis event. And when I got into it, I was like, holy smokes, like you can't do what everyone does today. I almost had to revert back to what I used to do when I started in my career, which was the kind of these like out of the box campaigns, you're negotiating with radio um, and podcasts to me as the new radio. So I, I spent a lot of time in the podcast world and then, um, you know, really got to change my mindset and it became instead of being like a live events marketer, I really got really interested in cannabis because it was like new rules. It was the wild, wild west and people forget how wild, wild west YouTube was when it first came about. Now everyone's like, oh, wow. I'm gonna Google and I'm gonna buy like Facebook and Instagram. But back then everyone's like, what are you doing? Why would you buy that type of media? So it, it's, I feel like it's coming full circle in a weird sense. Like we're, we're back, we're, we're we're back to where I was like when I started in my career. You know, that, that's not something I actually ever considered, right? Because most of the marketers on this show, and you and I are probably similar in age, are, are fun, funny enough younger than me, right? So I never thought that it'd be advantageous to have, to have experience pre, not pre-internet, but pre-Facebook, pre-social media, because that's really where we are in cannabis, right? You know, where you started your career is essentially what's allowed. I mean, so in reality of it is, you know, the things like you did with Bleeds of Glory is really what companies are doing these days because they can't do a lot of Facebook or they can't do a lot of Instagram, especially if it's not organic. So I actually never thought about it. And I imagine that's probably one of your biggest strengths is the experience that you had before, you know, MySpace came out and, and Tom got us all hooked on social media. Yeah, I'm giving, the, I'm giving the credit to Tom, not Mark Zuckerberg, okay? Tom was there first. Mark, you just made a better mousetrap. So, you know, do you, how often do you go back and think about those activations and those like street team things that you did and apply that to cannabis? Now, often, you know, when people bring me on, they look, you know, you look at my resume and you're like, oh, video games, check. Music festivals, check. Like, right, and being the CMO of a commerce platform, check. Like all the check boxes. But really, when we start diving into a go-to-market strategy, what ends up happening as my experience from that time comes into play and they're like, oh, we didn't think of things like that. And I'm like, yeah, well, I used to work for um, a PR stunt agency and that's what we would do, right? Like you would come up with that stuff. So, you know, when people bring me on, they don't look at it until like we start going through the strategy and it's like, oh, like, wow, that background is super helpful. And it's really funny. Street teams aren't the same like they were back then, right? So like, even the wheat pasting, I don't know if people know about wheat pasting. It's all those like posters along construction sites. Um, but like tactical things like that really come into play in cannabis. And, you know, working on this festival where I met a ton of people, you were able to kind of play around and see. And I think things have changed even since like some of those festivals. Obviously, we haven't had festivals in a year, but, yeah, you know, seeing a lot of the strategies there, like you have to activate really creatively. And it's not just online. You have to think about offline. And a lot of people look at offline having a ton of costs associated. So people back off. They're like, oh, we can't do that stunt because you know the budgets and the costs are high yeah but there's you know like i was on a call yesterday where somebody asked me if they should buy a billboard in, in la and i was like well why not a mobile vehicle where you can drive it around like look at justin bieber's campaign like obviously yeah. that's a significant budget to build out such a 
a creative quote unquote semi truck branded mobile vehicle, but you could do it at a smaller scale, rent a vehicle, wrap it, drive it around. Now you have a mobile billboard that, you know, that's old school guerrilla marketing right there. It's crazy how creative the cannabis companies really need to get. You talk about brand activation and, and if I can shout out one of my friends and, and I actually did this on a previous um, episode, there's a company called uh, Dreamfields. Their brand is Jeter. And at one of their, the events that they did, they had, there was like a, like a hall of flowers or something like that. I don't know the actual event, but they made their booth, if you will, um, a blockbuster, a blockbuster video. And they had the carpet and they used the Blockbuster logo with their logo on it. And then they had their products, but instead of the traditional packaging, they made these um, DVD covers that were just stoner movies. And it was all the strains of their different products. And you would grab your favorite movie and you had snacks. And essentially it was like revisiting Blockbuster video, like the nostalgic you know, mid thirties to 40 year old stoner who used to smoke, go to Blockbuster, grab a movie, grab your Reese's peanut butter cups. If you're me and head home for the night. So, you know, I think it's things like this. And I think that's what you're saying is how cannabis companies really need to differentiate themselves going forward. hundred percent because they're so look, like when I talk about marketing, it's the attention span is really short. So marketing back in the day was top down. I put a bunch of billboards, radio, I blast the market and I would beat that message home to you when you were outside or doing things, right? Now there's so many different ways to consume content on your phone, on tablet, on your computer, you're getting hit in multiple directions. And like, if you think about it, when you're on Instagram, you're swiping up. That's just like seconds and you're in and out, right? And so today's marketing, at least from my standpoint, It's, and it's so cliche. Everyone says you have to build a community, but really your marketing is your advocates or or the people who are your brand ambassadors. So your customer service has to be on point. Customer service is not today. It's not uh, a, a department over here. Customer service is part of marketing. So when you're putting messaging out and you're doing a bunch of stuff, that journey, as soon as it touches a consumer, all the way until they have it um, and they're, you know, all the way until they have the product with them and they're home with it, um, that's all marketing now. It's so, it's just, it's very different. You know, that whole, I would say that whole life cycle of marketing is just very different now and super important that your customer service is on point because now it's bottom up marketing versus top down. It's interesting that you say that because, it, you know, I look back on experience with newer brands that, that I've tried. So I'm one of the online working tends to, to, to work on me, I guess. Right. You follow me around the Internet enough. All right. I'll click. My Pretty biggest pet thing. peeve is when it's like and I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but like when I see a pair of shoes I really like and then they don't have it in my size. So obviously I leave. And then that pair of shoes just follows me around the Internet. And I'm like, yeah, I want to buy it. You don't have it in my size. Stop following me. But, you know, off that note, there's a company, um, there was a custom suit company that came out a few years back. They're based out of Canada called Indochino. And they came out of nowhere where they had these guide shops and you would go in and they would fit you for a suit. They would send it over to China, manufacture it and ship it to you within like, originally it was two months, but now they've got it down to a month. But part of the reason why I really like this company is just to your point, they, if it didn't fit, they would take it back and they would keep sending you one until it fit. 
right? Even if the fit was off by a little bit. Now they had to adjust that because there were people that were really taking advantage of it. But just the fact that they're like, all right, yeah, just donate that suit. We'll send you another one out. And just the whole experience, I became a customer for life. And now I think this is something that you actually brought up in one of the discussions I saw you talk about, but now I've become a micro influencer, right? Yeah. And it, I love that you bring that topic up because that's actually something I use in my day job at Spring Big when I talk about sending texts is people becoming micro influencers, screenshotting that and sending it to their friends. So with Indochino, I've done that. Actually, my colleague Susie at work, her boyfriend needed a suit and I sent her there. They ended up buying two of them and now they're customers for life. So it's right. crazy how you talk about that customer service is truly your marketing, but you've made you, you you've proven it because now I'm telling people about that. Is the goal now to create these micro influencers? Hundred percent. I think micro influencers, whatever you want to call them, you are likely to buy something from someone who recommended to you who had a great experience versus an ad. And I'm not saying that ads don't work, right? Because you obviously a marketing plan is multifaceted, but you are likely to convert over a friend who referred something to you, right? And at the end of the day, you may not remember the suit, how it fit, but you remember the customer service. You remember that experience of it didn't really fit. You, you, made, you made a phone call or you sent an email or you sent a DM. They were really responsive they allowed you to donate, they sent something to you, that is all in your head and your mind. You're like, yeah. wow, that experience was amazing. And you know what people also remember? A really bad experience. They remember a bad experience more so than a good experience, right? And so you have to, that's stuff that like, I think everyone's like, oh, let's make sure we got the billboards and the digital ads and all that stuff. Where a lot of people fall short is that customer service, right? Like you will be blamed if the package didn't show up, right? Like yeah. you don't have control over shipping, but the consumer doesn't, doesn't care. They, they want to know where their package is and FedEx isn't responding to them, right? But you, the brand can easily respond to them and say, we're looking at it for you. We're so sorry. It takes just little things to make someone happy for them to remember like, hey, you're a good company who stands by their values, who took care of me. And standing by your values in your mission statements is one of the biggest things these consumers look for nowadays, in my opinion. No, I think you're right. And I think along those lines, when you say mission statement, that there almost needs to be like a, a, a social, not social equity or social justice. I'm just like a, like a charitable component to your business. Like I know I, the first one I can think of is like Tom's or Bombas or somebody else yeah. like that. Right. And, um, you know, we see this in the cannabis industry with, with justice joints and, and some of these companies, uh, we had good kind on here and they donate an eighth of their profits to, um, getting people running water in this country is, you know, it, obviously there is a marketing component to that. Right. And, yeah. and I, I don't mean to say that in the worst way, because you are advertising like, Hey, we, this is our mission. And if you buy from us, you're helping us with our mission. So there should be an advertising component to it. But are we seeing that kind of be the future of business and branding that there is like a goodwill component to your brand? Or are we just going to see traditional brands that are still here to just put out good products and, and make money? Thanks a little bit of both. I think like, like donating to a cause that's part of your mission 
is important, especially if it's like the epicenter of your mission. If your mission yeah. is like, right, um, making sure or pushing for people who are in prison for nonviolent crimes to be um, let out of jail, right? And you have a product that is about it's named something like you know yeah it's named something along those lines right and you're not donating that's a little weird right like and i stand by like very genuine marketing like who are you as a brand what is your mission and you know it's a dance around your question but really it's like if that's really what your goals are is to i don't know bring people together or get let people help people get out of jail or like make sure that there's equal rights and, and genders and, and things like that. Right. Like put your money where your mouth is, if that's your mission, right. The, like there's some companies where it doesn't make sense. Right. Like, yeah, I feel like Nike puts their money where their mouth is. Right. Like I've seen them donate. I've seen them look, those videos that they do, they just did one recently. And I saw it in ad week where, where it was like, strong women not athletes right like literally versions yeah. of strong women right like single mothers and like pregnant women and like women who work they put that that's an expensive production right like if you look at it an agency came in there was a director a producer actors they licensed the music so many components to that um and i've seen them put videos out month after month that's a that's a massive cost um, yeah. and they issue statements and they donate money. So I look at them, I know everyone looks at my Nike as that brand, but they, they do. And you know what? And when they have issues like crisis type of PR issues, they, they deal with it. They handle it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, what pe- what companies are doing now, because at the end of the day, like this goes into so much deeper because wealthy people are actually incentive to give money. So at the end of the day, the CEOs and the executives of these companies were, they're donating to charity at the very least to avoid having to pay substantial taxes. Right. And I'm not saying that they're only doing it that way, but I feel like they're now just being like, Hey, we are putting goodwill out there. You just aren't seeing it. And I'm not saying that's the case with Nike, but I feel like it's become more popular to share your mission and say, Hey, this is why we're doing that. And I've gotten to a point where I can give back. Um, it's interesting. And I I do like what you're saying with Nike because they do put out some really good stuff out there, but I also think some of the things they use for controversy, like, and and maybe, you know, this is the right place to talk, but so the, the Colin Kaepernick thing, when they, when they were promoting Kaepernick hard, yes, I really do believe that they were standing behind him, but I also think they knew by stirring this conversation, by putting cap there, knowing half the country would be pissed, half would love it, that they're starting conversations. And what's that topic of conversation? That topic of conversation is Nike. So I feel like with that particular campaign, there was like, hey, we should support cap. He was one of our athletes. But I also thought there was a big marketing intention behind it. 100% there was a marketing intention behind it. I mean, look, these people they're smart, right? Like you're starting a conversation that may be uncomfortable, but you know what everyone remembers? That Nike campaign, right? Whether you love it or hate it, there was so much conversation behind it. It was, it, from a PR standpoint, I thought the PR team did it justice, but yeah, you are right. Look, look, everyone's saying, I think part of it is social media, right? Like you get, 
you get people that are like messaging a brand and they're yeah. like, you're not putting out a statement and like, you're not supporting and blah, blah, blah. Right. And that's not to downplay the consumer's feelings, but also the consumers, look, a, an old boss of mine told me something really important. And he said to me, bosses have feelings too. This is when I was fighting for like raises and I was like, yeah. we're working so hard. And he just kind of looked at me and stomped. He was just like, you know, like we have feelings too. Like we're fighting behind the scenes. And, I, and you know, people are like, you shouldn't care what people say on social media. There are trolls. There's this, there's that, right? I get it. But behind people, behind the, the social media door is the person on the other side with feelings. So when you're reading these comments and you're like, like, oh my God, like we're not doing about so anything about social justice. We have to respond to it. And like, you have to bubble this up. You have to ask yourself the percentage of those comments, how much is it? Right. Like yeah. you have to look, like really take a deep breath and look. And sometimes like, and I've been on those front lines and I've seen those messages where you're like, oh my God, like, okay, we have to do something. But sometimes the CEO of the company needs to take a moment to really like think and understand how they want to position themselves because you don't want to say the wrong word like and have one word be misconstrued. So it takes yeah. a minute to draft a statement and, and find a charity that's legit, right? Like, is it a legit charity? I think it was, was it Cardi B? Cardi B donated something uh to, to charity and it wasn't legit and she had to come out and she had to apologize right and so when you're pushing celebs and brands for these responses because you like are living and breathing the injustice i also would like remind the consumer like hey man these people have feelings too and they're just trying to get things yeah. in order they're just trying to like figure it out it's not like they don't support you it's that they're like oh my god like what do we do? I have a team. Let's get together and like, just try to figure this stuff out. So, you know, as a brand, I think it's really important to be honest. Like, look, I worked on a show and, um, it was the will call was a mess. It was just like kids couldn't oh. get on the show. It was 10,000 kids outside lines. We didn't have names. And I just let the kids in like, like stood on, a. I leveled up on a, I forget what it was, a stand and I had a bullhorn and I was like, I fell on the sword for it. I said, our will calls messed up. I am so sorry. We're going to let you in, uh, but you need to show your tickets tomorrow. And I just let them in, but I fell on the sword. Yeah. I had to issue a statement publicly. There was nothing that I could do to go, Ooh, not, not my fault. I just was like our fault. Um, I'm sorry. This is what happened. And you know what? I got less flack by doing it. Yeah, did I get a couple of people that were like, you suck? Of course. But at the end of the day, you fall on the sword, you're humble, you're genuine. People will see that as a brand, yeah. a person or a brand. I think that's the most important thing is the way, you know, the way that, that you make people feel. Um, I want to circle back before you and I say anything wrong and one of us gets canceled, probably me. Um, you know, but to talk about, customer experience as a marketing tool. And really when we talk about experiential marketing, I think to your point, it's not just brand activations and events and things like that. It's just the way that the customer has an experience with you. So again, I, I like this, is, I'm probably using more examples in this. So Lowell Smokes, we're all familiar with who they are, especially if you're out in California, 
But when I first went out to California, it was the experience with this brand and this packaging that, that made me a fan of them. And obviously we all know they just sold to Indus, but like this pack right here, you know, it, you look at it, I'm a, I'm a, you know, 34 year old guy. I, I drink whiskey and beer. Like, you know, I, 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 I'm the manly guy. So I look at this and to me, this was like the Joe Cannibal of cannabis or like the whiskey drinkers and they the barrels. And then you have this beautiful pack, you know, it's got seven different joints in it. You open it up. It gives you everything that you need. And I feel like this right here, this pack was the marketing that helped Lowell explode, that it was the experience with their packaging and their, their displays. I mean, is that where we're going with cannabis? Is that type? Because you really don't have the ability to touch your end consumer. You're separated by the dispensary unless you're vertically integrated. So is it that you really just have to figure out a way to stand out from a retail standpoint? You have to figure out a way to stand out. I think, you know, the other thing that people, I think gloss over is the power of bud tenders. Um, the power of bud tenders is real. I think like they are influencers in their own set, right? They are, they are a type of influencer that's niche but they, I think a lot of people overlook bud tenders or they don't, not really sure how to activate them, right? So you have bud tenders, you have the packaging, you have your, your customer service. And then you like, I would say all that. And then you have your go-to-market, right? Like, okay, how am I going to activate on Instagram? What's my Google search like? Let's make sure my website has the right meta tags, like those standard things that you should have. When I look at it, I'm always looking at the packaging, like, what am I working with? What does this look like first? Um, how are people, how are people with like, it's like opening up your, an Apple iPhone, right? Yeah. Like, right. You get the Apple iPhone, you're like, Ooh, and then you get the box and it's like, there's a beautiful paper and then you open it and it's like, got this like sheet and you're just like, it's just magical when you open it. Right. Yeah. And look, like app, that's how. If you think about Apple's marketing, when the iPod came out, the iPod could do so many things. Their marketing was beautiful packaging and a thousand songs fit on this. That was it. That's all it yeah. said. And guess what? It blew up, right? And so I look at um, I look at cannabis very similarly. Um, that packaging is so like look at Steezy. Steezy has like a certain pen. It's got a certain look. It's got a certain yeah. vibe, right? It's a vibe, right? And so I look at cannabis as like a lifestyle. It's like sneakers are a lifestyle. You see a pair of Air Jordans, you're like, ooh, that's a vibe. Like, are you an Air Jordan vibe or are you a Puma vibe? Or are you, right? Like, so, I, you know, I love to see cannabis in like a lifestyle situation. Not like, not your stereotypical ones. And I think there's, there's a place for the stereotypical, like, okay, like, um, where it's always been, but I feel like there's so much room. You break down the stigma, you, you break down different audience, you get the can of curious people. And that's how, that's how a cannabis becomes like a lifestyle. And it's a win-win for all brands. If, yeah, you, if we can do that. I agree with you. I, I love the lifestyle approach, especially from a cannabis company and breaking the stigma is huge. I mean, you know, when, when you think about lifestyle, when it comes to cannabis, most cannabis consumers, the majority of us, the true majority of us, we don't fit that stigma, especially those of us in the industry. I mean, look at your resume, yeah. mine kind of not as impressive as yours, but you know, I consume cannabis and I'm in this industry. So to see companies that are integrating like 
cannabis, their products into recovering from a workout or being active, going on a hike, enjoying nature, going canoeing and stuff like that. I think that's more appealing to me because that's truly where a lot of my relationship with cannabis comes. Yes, I do have the relationship on, you know, late Friday nights with super troopers on TVs and, you know, a thing of milk duds too, but that's not going to get me to buy it. It's more like the sativa, the act in this, because that's truly where I'd integrate it into my life. The other part of it is the same way I would use like whiskey or something else like that. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting to see companies starting to break that stigma with these lifestyle brands are like, you know, this we're, we're for people who are active. We're for people who are outdoors. We're for professionals We're this is for happy hours. So it's really interesting to see that. Um, I was going somewhere. Oh, I work with a lot of brands in, in, in my day job at spring big. I don't hide that from anybody. And it's interesting to see how many, how many brands really just try to lead with discounts because a lot of cannabis consumers, the traditional ones are trained on value. What's the most bang for my buck where I think that brands really need to stop training their consumers to wait for the discount and start building value in their brands and it's interesting to try to convince them to that because short term, it may not seem like it's working, but I feel like that's how you truly build a loyal following is do we need to see that? Should we kind of lay off? I mean, listen, I like the discounts too, because I like value. So don't listen to me, everybody, but do we need to see brands kind of holding and saying, no, there is value in our brand. We put out a quality product. This is our price point, but this is our brand. Like, how do we get to a point where we start seeing more lifestyle ads and more just not discounts? I mean, if you believe in your product and it's not like Cyber Monday, Black Friday, like the discount holidays is called, I wouldn't discount my brand. You hold strong. If you believe you have a good product, right? Like once you start discounting your brand, so will the consumer and why wouldn't they right if you, it's yeah. just like if i discount if i think i'm a if i think i'm a terrible marketer and i just keep discounting my rate then everyone's going to be like ah you're an okay marketer like like right i yeah. believe that based on my experience i'm a great marketer so you should too and maybe look if you don't then you don't like i'm not i'm not here to try to change your mind but there's like we'll call it 95 percent of people that do so if i'm a brand I just wouldn't discount my brand, especially, especially if I believe that my product is good. And look, yeah. if, you're, if you have money and you're going to market with a marketing strategy, you should believe that you have a great product. Otherwise, what are you in it for? I'm, I'm interested to get your thought on the celebrity brands, right? Because two recent celebrity launches stick out in my head, and that's Jay-Z's Monogram and Seth Rogen's Houseplant. Now, Jay-Z's company went with an ultra premium product, right? Uh, I think it was like $50 pre-rolls or something ridiculous like that. Um, And to me, especially in the cannabis industry, that sets a very high mark where it's, if that's not the best shit I've ever had in my life, it's not worth the money. And I feel like that's, especially in cannabis, because it's a plant, there is inconsistencies, and, you know, when you get to a certain point with good weed and whether people want to get mad at me or not, it's only incrementally better, right? When you've had the best stuff you've ever smoked and someone's like, try this, you're like, oh, that's good. It's a little bit better, maybe not worth the price. And then you get houseplant, which wasn't at that ultra, it was at a premium level. It wasn't where Monogram was, sold out. And I got people telling me like, damn, it was actually pretty good. So they didn't set that unrealistic expectation you know, so for a company like Jay-Z's with Monogram, when you set that premium price point, even outside of cannabis, 
is it hard? Like you have to deliver on the first shot. Am I wrong? You have to deliver on the first shot. This, you don't get second chances right now. You know, like right today, everything's live. Someone smokes it. They're going to like, they're going to put you on blast on Twitter, Instagram, whatever platform they're going to put you on blast. Even if it's like small platforms, word of mouth is really big. Like, look, like you start a Reddit thread. It could, it could blow up. Like it sucks. Yeah. It right. Um, you just have to, you know, your strategy team, they definitely have a strategy team as the one doing the pricing. I think, you know, you look at it, you have a brand name, it's Jay-Z. Some people will pay it because it's Jay-Z, right? But at the end of the day, is the product good? That's, that's the yeah. question. Like, can they move? I don't know how many units they have to move, but like, what is their strategy for moving all those units, right? I mean, I always use Firefest as a funny example, but look, <laughs> like, look, they sold this lifestyle. Like unbelievable, like those ticket prices were out of control and people bought it. They bought into it. And, you know, I was out to dinner five days before the festival was supposed to happen with an agent. And he, and he said to me, Betty, he's like, this is going to be the most amazing festival that surprises everyone, or it's going to be a complete, utter disaster. And we haven't put our talent on the plane yet. And obviously we all know what happened. Uh, but I think that's when you set the bar so high, it's either going to be amazing or it's going to be a disaster. And then look, then you got to like, you know, take some time, time heals all, and then you come back and then you start marketing again. That's funny. I um, I actually have a question about that too, because you have an events background, right? So when that, yeah. when those documentaries were coming out, I was actually doing cannabis events and, you know, similar to in the documentary, I mean, our events wouldn't be finalized till we were on the plane out to it. Right. Yeah. And people would drop off, new people would come in and we would make fire festival jokes all the time. Well, so like as much as at some point he should have definitely pulled the plug, especially being, he was taking people to an Island. I truly feel like this guy thought in the team, not the team, but he really thought he was going to pull it off because if you've done events, a lot of this shit happens, not to the point it happened there. Right. He shouldn't have let people come to the Island. Right. But is that like, are there really well-coordinated events that it's just like a month before you're like everything's set and we're just going to make sure it happens? Or is that just the event world where it's constantly rotating on you and it's just a ball of stress? It's constantly revol- It's constantly changing. I think like, but if you're in events, you have a blood, there's like something in your blood and your DNA to be able to handle events. Like you love it. As much as you're commiserating along the way and you're like pulling your hair out because you don't have the contract or the permit and like you're getting a temporary like occupancy permit and you're just stressing out. At the end of the day, when the doors open and you see all these people that are so happy, there's there's no there's no feeling like it, at least to me, to know like you have done something amazing for these 10, 30,000, whatever the size of the show is. Um, but it's part, it's par for the core, man. Like, but you got sponsors on site and you're, they're rolling in and they're, and, and they're trying to build their like a brand activation and, and the little things like I need Wi-Fi at my area. You got to call the person to make sure that yep. Wi-Fi is being funneled over there. Um, but yeah, there's just something about the thrill of like seeing all these people just like party you're just like yeah i did something and honestly when you're in festival or event um 
production. You, you're just like a traveling circus. You're a traveling yeah. like family circus. So you see my son? <laughs> That's funny. No, <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, uh, I remember doing the events, like the two weeks leading up to the, the day of the event, I had no life. It was just event, event, event. And then I remember the day of, I would host it. And after the event was over, I felt so good. I'm like, it's done. We pulled it off. That's great. But the next morning I'd wake up and I'd go, we're back to zero. We don't have anything for the next event. We got to get going again. So it's like, it was weird. I only got to enjoy it for a night. I don't know if that's what you've experienced too. Yeah, totally. I mean, look, like there's a big come down, right? Like you're, you're just, you're, you're coming down after you do an event and then you're just, you know, you take, you take a couple of days reprieve and then you're ready to go. You're, you're like ready yep. to ramp back up. And it's been like, like, at least for, for me, I've been blessed enough to work for a commerce platform predominantly in live events but, you know, also entering like other verticals, cannabis has come into my life. So it's like, it has been in my life for a couple of years and it's just been, it's just been a blessing, but yeah, it's like, um, there's that up and down roller coaster of emotions when, when you're living and breathing events. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So I want to get back to marketing here. So, you know, because I do love talking about events because I did it, but, you know, I can go down that rabbit hole really deep. So you and I, you know, when we spoke for a little bit yesterday, we talked about Barstool Sports, right? And, yeah. you know, I talked about Eric and Nardini and the Crescent she doesn't get. We don't need to go into that. But when we look at a company like Barstool, are we kind of seeing the future of media, right? You know, they, they built a network of podcasts. They have, they definitely have a community, you know, if not a small country behind them, people buy their merch. They, they are an influence. They have influencers that work for them and they are influencers within them, you know, within just everything that they sell, people become religious to Barstool as network TV starts to sunset and we're going to streaming programs. Are we going to see more companies like Barstool, maybe not to that same level start to pop up? And is that the future of media? I think so. I, I think definitely that's the future of media. Um, you know, particularly Barstool. Sorry, I muted you guys because my son's like in and out trying to eat. Um, <laughs> this is the realness like, in the podcast the that I love. I bet the audience could see me like talking because my son was running in and out. So I'm like, I'm just going to like tell everyone that. Um, look, <laughs> the, um, well, the Barstool, I think, you know, interesting with Barstool. I've always loved bar, Barstool and I know people, not a lot of people, some people don't because some of their content is risque, at times offensive. But when you look deep down, someone like Erica Nardini, yeah, she's tough, but man, is she like, she climbed up the ranks. People don't know that. Like if you grew up in the media world, like she climbed up the ranks. I, I want to say AOL and a couple of these places. and Yeah she's tough and she's great and like yeah maybe she's tough and maybe there's like some bravado about bar barstool but she cares and you can see that she's very passionate about what she's passionate about she's passionate about you know women being vocal in the workspace she's very passionate about like being a ceo who quadrupled revenue like one of the few to do it i think like look the content that they do some of it's long, some of it's short. It's like snackable pieces of content. They have a programming cadence. 
Um, you know, and the other things that Barstool does is you and I talked about this. They have the Barstool fund. They didn't have to go yeah. $40 million. They didn't have to do it. They raised $40 million to give the small businesses. And to be honest with you, the power of the videos that they post when they call people who receive the money. Like, I know people think like, oh, it's a marketing tool for Barstool. Bar Barstool doesn't need that marketing. Erica Nardini doesn't no. need that. The reason why they put it out, in my opinion, is so people are emotionally attached and who will donate money. This is not like a, oh, Barstool's doing this, in my opinion. And they didn't have to raise $40 million. They didn't have to call out the NFL teams. They, right? Like all, a lot of the sports teams don't like them. They call them out. Yeah. Like donate some money, give it to like small businesses. What else are you doing? And I think like you see, you know, like, look, every brand's going to have their good and their bad. But I think the people behind it genuinely care and stand by what they believe, whether you believe in what they believe or not. And I do like yeah. that genuineness. It, it's it's interesting because you talk about Barstool Fund, which was incredible. But even before they launched the fund, you know, with Dave's Pizza Reviews, yeah. he would do a review and that business would get flooded. He would do frozen pizza reviews and that business would get flooded and they would get notes about how life-changing it was. And they were doing this before they even launched the fund. But going back and we talk about Barstool, how some people may not like them because their content's risque, you kind of put this thought in my head that I feel like counterculture in a way starts the new medium, right? Because we look at back in the day, who was Barstool before Barstool came around? Well, you had some internet stuff, but if we go even further, we look at someone like Howard Stern, who was counterculture, who was, nobody liked him. You know, if you've seen the movie Private Parts, the average Stern listener listens to an hour. Why? They want to hear what he has sex, what, what he has to say next. Yeah. What, is the, what about the people who hate him? Well, they listen to two hours. Why? They want to hear what he has to say next. And Howard Stern ultimately created this whole morning jock, shock jock into what we now see as podcasting. I truly believe that as much as Howard Stern hates podcasts, he's the father of podcasting without even realizing it. So, you know, and before Howard Stern, I, again, this is before my time, but you know, like, uh, who, you know, the dude who had the tonight show before Johnny Carson, I'm sure was a little bit counterculture and, 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 you know, people in the Rat Pack and everything else. So I feel like Barstool is really just the next incarnation of the Stearns of the world. It, it, do you see that? And that's how we're getting to these new medias because people, they, they, they want to see new things. I agree. People want to see new things. People's attention spans are short, right? Like there's just so much, like every day there's just new content. Every day there's new content creators. Every day, like if you look at influencers, they're their own media right? Like you want to hear what some of these influencers say. You want to hear what Barstool has to say. It's, you know, traditional media, you know, some people tune into it, like, say what you want to say, but these new forms of media, like the way Barstool does things, um, there's a couple, I have a couple other examples. I'm just thinking of a couple of influencers, right? Like there's a girl, Danielle Robet, like she does stuff with AT&T, snackable content, which is great, yeah. right? And these influencers are becoming their own media, type of media, right? So you go to X influencer because you like dance content or whatever it is, whatever content it is that you like. You go to Barstool because you want to see funny, funny videos, right? Like yeah. you can be funny or die. I remember funny or die and like... Mm -hmm. And they're probably still around. So apologies if anyone's at funny or die. Um, and then, 
Uh, you know, there's bar stools, right? So it's like, you've seen the evolution of that. Like you just see the evolution of that happening. Yeah. And I mean, we even see comedians that are starting to create their own networks too. Like you've got Bill Burr that started all things comedy, which is a comedy network. And you've got Tom Segura with your mom's house, which, you know, he's got a whole podcast network. So you're starting to see these, like you said, you know, celebrities are following, especially the ones that are, are counter Hollywood, like the stand-up comedians that are just like, we don't want sitcoms and everything else. They're following the Barstool model and becoming influencers in their own space and creating these networks of influencers. It's really interesting to see. Um, I want to get back to the main topic here. And so we talked a lot about marketing and media and all these different new mediums and everything else. We talked about the restrictions in cannabis, but as you're, you know, you're working more and more in the cannabis industry and you're working with some great companies, what, what are some of the channels that you're seeing? What advice do you have to people that are getting started in this industry as far as building a brand or really just reaching their consumers? You know, how can cannabis companies work within the restrictions that they've been given? I think if you enter cannabis, you got to have some thick skin, right? You got to be able to roll with the punches and roll with like things changing all the time, right? And you have to work fast. Things change all the time. I always tell people digital changes every day. One day you think like, I mean, look, one day, one platform is massive. The next day you got to pivot and figure out another platform. It's, it's ever changing. Um, You have to have some grit to it. I think if you're a marketer getting into cannabis, like I would say, I definitely look at podcasts, not because I'm on one, but because like truly, she, um, she, I, she misspoke there. She said, you should definitely look at Elevate Your Grind and no you, other podcast. You should, you should like, definitely so look at Elevate Your Grind. Um, but podcasts work in the cannabis space. Like, look, you don't have a lot of avenues, right? You have to be really creative. So are you going to do um, a massive radio buy with a big company? Or are you going to invest in podcasts, right? Who right now, podcasts are killing it. So I've seen with clients actually a very large return on investment from podcasts, right? Um, but if you're getting into marketing, you got to be clever. If, if, you, if you're going to pull the, um, I'm going to buy Google and Facebook, you're going to, it's going to be a rude awakening, right? Um, and you also have to make sure, I always make sure of this too. One piece of advice is if you're working with influencers, like, look, I very much look at micro influencers. And if I'm working with a large influencer, I will always ask for their data. What markets is your audience in? So if you're working with someone that has millions of followers, what if 70% of that audience is not in the market that you're targeting? Yeah. Of that post, how many are actually going to reach the people in California, in Los Angeles, quote unquote, in a 50 mile radius that your product is in? Is it worth that? Or is it worth working with someone who's a Los Angeles influencer maybe 50,000 followers, but audience is 90% Los Angeles and engagement is over 20%. Those, that, those are some pieces of advice I would give. It's probably much better value. It's funny, I, I have that argument a lot. So again, shamelessly plugging my, my day job here. One of the things we do at Spring Big is we allow brands to send text messages to the loyalty list of the dispensaries that they work with, right? So I actually have that conversation a lot too. It's like, hey, you wanna work with Snoop Dogg or Seth Rogen or one of these massive influencers, 
they have national, if not international followings, right? And you don't know exactly where their audience is, or you can spend less money on a text blast and send it to the store that you're trying to drive traffic to, the actual store or the region or the area. And it's an interesting conversation because people need to figure out how do I get that value? Just because Snoop has 5 million followers doesn't mean they're all in LA. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, but you, you make a great point there. Um, it, it's interesting too. I feel like it's all come full circle back to the conversation we had when we started and then just back to your old life where we're really starting to see cannabis companies get involved in the events that are happening, right? We saw Weed Maps sponsor Mike Tyson's fight with Roy Jones Jr. Oh, yeah, which was thriller. incredible to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we have upcoming, you know, you guys on the West Coast get to take it. Oh, you're in Texas, actually. Never mind. Yeah. So Cynthia can take. Well, Cynthia is going to this, actually. Cynthia, I hate you because I want to go so bad. Um, Puffco is doing the comedy store at the Rose Bowl, and it's being sponsored by Puffco. So are we going to start to see comedy, boxing, more of the, not your mainstream NBA, NFL, MLB, but are we going to start to see some of these fringe UFC comedy festivals, concerts, are we going to start seeing a lot of cannabis companies integrate themselves into these? Yes, 1000%. I mean, look at Budweiser with the UFC. That's a staple for years. When I was like working at SureDog, which is like a large MMA uh, website, I mean, Budweiser and UFC hand in hand, like they brought each other, right? Like they sponsored the Octagon. Anytime these guys were fighting, you saw a big Budweiser logo in the middle, right? Um, and then the, U the UFC blew up. Budweiser like kind of went along with that ride, right? I think, yeah, if you're a cannabis, you're going to see, I think, you'll see branding opportunities like that because you can't sell direct to consumer yet with cannabis, right? So if I'm doing a digital ad, I'm driving to my website, right? I'm driving to brand.com. Then what is your expectation of the consumer? To look at the stuff, can they put stuff, what can they put in the car? Do they then have to pick it up? Like how, how does that whole experience work? So yeah, if you're branding and people just keep seeing your logo and going, what is that, right? Like, what is that brand? Then they go to your website and get some info. Then they're gonna wanna know where they can get it or see it or touch and feel and try it. Which is why guerrilla marketing for me in the cannabis space comes into play. Like, what are you doing on premise? What are you doing in the dispensaries? what are you doing to, to find your consumers who are kind of curious? Let's be honest, right? You're going to have your loyal, you're going to have your loyal audience, but how do you tap into their friends and their friends and friends? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, for sure. I say text messages through spring big, but you know, we, there's like open to interpretation. Oh, and that's like just facts, hundred percent facts and like not pushing your company, but if anyone's trying to do text message marketing, you better hire a company because there's a lot of rules, a lot of legalities, and you don't want to get into a class action lawsuit because you sent someone a text that they did not subscribe to and not approved. And I know everyone gets these text messages, but they have to, you have to be able to get out of that text message or something. So if you are a brand not using a company that specializes in it, you're opening up yourself to a lawsuit. Well, I appreciate you participating in my shameless plug, but you're 100% <laughs> right. Actually, the election with all the, the the bullshit that was going out during the election, the carriers got even stricter, right? And yeah. I will say that we we have measures in place to get not get around it, but to make sure the rules are followed and everything else. But it it is tough. You're 100% right. So 
Betty, we're coming up on the top of the hour here. You know, I, I know your son is hungry because he's digging through the pantry before. What is there Betty's anything you missed? <laughs> anything you want to cover before we let you go? No, I thought it was a great conversation. And no, I'm just, you know, I guess my last words would be, look, if you, I, you and I have day jobs. I'm the CMO of a tech company, but I get to work on, you know, I get to have, and I'm fully transparent with my company, right? And once cannabis can get into a commerce space, then we'll, they'll end up working together. But I think if you have a passion and you love something, go for it. If you have the energy for it, like it's okay to hustle and have multiple things going on and, and, you know, be genuine, especially in your marketing, customer service. That's a marketing, that's a marketing tool, not just a separate department. That's just like taking tickets. All right. I'm going on one more tangent before I let you go. But every time you talk about that, it brings me back. Do you remember the movie, The Intern with uh, Anne Hathaway and Robert yeah. De Niro? Did you see that one? Whoa. When she goes to the factory and starts opening up boxes to see how they're packaged or she orders her own stuff to see how it's packaged. I feel like that's that's really where CEOs and, and marketing people need to be is just going through the supply chain and making sure the experience is there. Yeah, they should, right? Like they should go through the, the experience on their own. It's like, sometimes you forget when you're so immersed in something, like I'm in commerce. Wait, when's the last time I actually bought something, right? Online. Yeah. So go through that experience. What do you like about it? Did you like getting the emails? Did you not like getting the emails? Did you like to get the text message? Not the text message, right? Like be, I would say my advice on the brands is like, be your consumer that you're targeting. Go through their experience and see if, it, if that is the experience you genuinely like, and if you don't like it, you have the authority to change it. You can change it. So do it. I never thought I'd learn about marketing from an Anne Hathaway movie, but I'm glad I watched that one. Right. Betty, thank you so much for joining. Before we let you go, let's plug the agency. Anything you want to plug, let's get it all out there. Yeah, Bouquet Agency. Um, we're based, we have... Um, LA, Austin, Canada. Um, we do full service marketing. So hit us up, Betty at bouquetagency.com. And yeah, uh, thanks for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. And I, I listen, Austin, Texas is one of my favorite places in the world. Once they legalize cannabis there, it will be my favorite place in the world. So can't wait, right? You guys are in great locations. Thank you. Thank you so awesome. much. Well, thank you to you and thank you to everybody at home for watching. If you missed any part of this interview, it'll be live on our YouTube page on Monday at youtube.com slash elevate your grind. Of course, if you only want to listen to us, you want to enjoy us in your office on your ride to work, you can do that wherever you find your podcast. Just search for elevate your grind. Folks, we've got some great programming coming up for you from C-Lab. If you want to continue to educate yourself on the industry, either specifically to Florida or at our national level, go to joincelab.com where you can get more information on that. Join us right here next week at facebook.com slash group. We'll be live with Gia Marone and the team from Couch Lock News. I'm excited to have those guys on. We will see you next time.